From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father John Tregilio is in the house, so if you'd like to be part of the program, pick up the phone and give us a call. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one. 205-271-2985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985 you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program your call screener is Matt Kubensky, Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every single Monday, Father John Tregilio, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I am coming to you live from the 141st Knights of Columbus Supreme Convention this year in beautiful Orlando, Florida. And I know, wow. Father, as a pastor for many, many years, uh, you know, the Knights have been described in many different ways. I know one of our former Holy Fathers called them the strong right arm of the church, and I'm sure that in your experience you've benefited greatly from the uh, efforts of the Knights of Columbus. Oh, yeah, and I'm a fourth degree myself, and as a pastor for 16 years, the Knights of Columbus were some of my most devoted, generous, um, supportive uh, men in the parish, so uh, I, I can't speak more highly than uh, about them. And anybody who may be listening, who may be interested about the Knights of Columbus, please uh, simply log on to KOFC, that's KOFC.org, and you can find out all of the details. I've got a question, an email here from Thomas. It says, during the Catholic Mass, the Catholic priest consecrates the large host. Are the small hosts to be distributed to the parishioners to be on the altar during epiclesis and consecration? I ask this as we have a priest that waits until after the Lamb of God before going to the tabernacle to retrieve the smaller hosts, at which time he follows with, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, etc. This just plants the seed in my mind that I am not truly receiving consecrated hosts. Uh, yes, uh, well, if he's getting them from the tabernacle, uh, those are uh, consecrated hosts from a previous Mass, and that's why we have the tabernacle. Uh, one is to have communion, to be able to bring it to the sick, and secondly, so that we can have the real presence for adoration and worship. Now, I know some parishes, uh, they would like to consecrate as many, if not uh, all the hosts are going to be given at Holy Communion at that Mass, but it's just not logic, uh, practical that you could do that. And what's necessary is that the priest consecrates the host 
at that mass, and he must consume the host at that mass. He must consume uh, the consecrated wine at that mass. But for the lay faithful, any host they receive from the tabernacle that's consecrated, and only consecrated hosts can be in the tabernacle, then you are receiving Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. Um, the hosts that to be consecrated should be on the altar. Um, I know sometimes it, it happens that somebody leaves the ciborium, that's the container of unconsecrated hosts, in the sacristy. Uh, if that happens, they're not consecrated. Uh, the priest must intend, he must be con cognizant of their presence, and uh, in very traditional theology, uh, they should be within eyesight uh, of the priest at the altar. And um, all the priests I know, and we tell the seminarians, you know, have them on the corporal, on the altar, in front of you, uh, so that you could see them. But uh, this person um, who wrote this question and does not need to worry, because they are receiving uh, the, the real thing, uh, as long as it's received from the tabernacle. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Paul writes in, Why is it that the Catholic Church claims the Bible to be a Catholic book when it wasn't dogmatically <laughs> declared to be the canon that is until the, the Council of Trent? Okay, well, uh, the canon, all right, that's the, the list of books. Uh, was defined well before Trent. Trent just made it very clear because it hadn't been officially contested until Martin Luther uh, in the 16th century. Um, going all the way back to uh, the, the early days of the church, and we're talking about the, in the second century, um, it was well established that, you know, and these were from local councils, and uh, the popes uh, in Rome and uh, a synod of bishops that uh, these books uh, belong to the Bible, but uh, the Bible itself pre-existed, obviously, the Council of Trent, and the Bible was entrusted to the Church because the Church had to determine what books got in there, what books uh, didn't belong in there, and even the word Bible, you know, comes from the Church. The Church designated the collection of all those letters of St. Paul and the four Gospels and, and so forth, uh, all the books of the Bible, as the Bible. So uh, the Church and Sacred Scripture, uh, you know, work together, but it was the, it's called the Catholic Book because it's the Catholic Church that um, helped develop this. I mean, certainly it was the Holy Spirit that inspired the sacred text. The sacred authors wrote what God wanted uh, them to write, but it was Holy Mother Church that you know, did the, uh, the editing job of putting this together and uh, removing those things which uh, didn't belong. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Matt writes in, Before communion we say the prayer, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Why do, why do we need to go to confession if we believe in the power of prayer? Well, uh, as Catholic Christians, uh, we certainly believe in the power of prayer, but uh, Jesus very explicitly um, on Easter Sunday uh, breathed on the apostles and said, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. And the Church understood that from day one to mean that the, uh, the successors of the apostles, the bishops, 
and then the, the, the priests who were the successors of the disciples, uh, they had that power and authority uh, because of holy orders to forgive sins in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. Um, the penitential rite that we use in the beginning of Mass and the Lord I am not worthy uh, that's said before Holy Communion, uh, that's an expression, certainly, of contrition and sorrow, but the actual remission of sins for Catholic Christians and, as, and also for Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Christians, has to take place within the sacrament for all mortal sins. Venial sins are remitted any time a sacramental uh, is, is used, like holy water or, or prayer, but uh, for mortal sins, we must go to a priest because that sacrament of penance exists exclusively for that reason. Um, Adam writes in, does the part of the Lord's Prayer that says, give us this day our daily bread, refer to us receiving the Eucharist daily? Well, certainly it is available uh, in most parishes. Uh, the daily bread, though, can have a, a couple of meanings. Certainly the fact that we have Mass not just on Sunday, um, but that uh, as Catholics, you know, uh, we expect that most churches have it every day. And as Catholic Christians, if we're in the state of grace, we can receive communion not only every day, but uh, the maximum would be twice in one day. We're not allowed to receive any more than twice. So you can't receive three, four, or five times in one day. Um, but the daily bread can certainly mean that, and that's what the church interpretation. But it can also mean that God's going to provide our daily sustenance. So not just um, uh, you know, going to fill our souls with the divine food from heaven, Jesus' body and blood, but also he sustains us with his divine grace and his divine providence. So it has a couple of layers of meaning. So once again, I'm coming to you live today from the 141st Supreme Convention of the Knights of Columbus here in beautiful Orlando, Florida. would encourage you to support the efforts of your Knights of Columbus in your parish. Uh, and if you're a, a gentleman, a Catholic gentleman, uh, give uh, some consideration to uh, becoming a member of the Knights of Columbus. They would love to uh, receive your efforts as well. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Another great suggestion for summer reading for kids, The Unsolvable Problem and the Little Convent in the Big City. EWTN's Religious Catalog has great summer reading for kids in The Unsolvable Problem and Little Convent in the Big City. Mother Claire is on a mission to introduce religious life to Catholic kids who may have never, ever seen a sister. And to do so with humor, verve, and imaginative storytelling, these books are two of the many great summer reading suggestions for kids. 
from EWTN's religious catalog. For more information, visit EWTNRC.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. First up today is Mary in Atlanta, Georgia, listening on The Quest. Mary, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Father John, I have an interesting question. Okay. Uh, my daughter just recently got married, and she opted, she and her fiancé opted to do the marriage prep on a weekend retreat. The person presenting the marriage part talks about how marriage is um, pro- one of the things is for procreation, and he went into the use of contraceptives and natural family planning. And one young couple stood up, and the young girl said that she said, I had cancer in my teens, ovarian cancer, and my ovaries have been uh, removed, and I can't have children. And the man doing the presenting looked at her and said, then you can't get married in the Catholic Church. I, I mean, I wanted you to comment on that. Yeah, I, that he's completely wrong. <laughs> um, for it to be a valid um, marriage, um, what's necessary is that the man and um, woman, the husband and wife, can complete the, the conjugal act. Um, but if either one of them is infertile uh, for any number of reasons, uh, that does not invalidate um, the, the marriage. And so if you've got an elderly couple that can't have children or someone has a, a medical condition, like let's say a woman had to have a hysterectomy or a man had some um, you know, type of surgery. Um, now, the intention not to have children, that's we're making a distinction here. If the, either or both the husband and wife intend not to have children, although they're capable of having children, then that would invalidate uh, the the, uh, the sacrament, but the fact that they cannot have children, uh, especially through no fault of themselves, then uh, that does not apply. So you know she had cancer and she's not able to have children. Um, you know that has nothing to do with it. So he he's speaking out of context, and I would certainly advise them to immediately speak to someone at the diocese, especially the the tribunal. Um, uh, just so that they can get the thing clarified and uh, find a place where someone's going to give them the right information. Does that help, Mary? Yeah, thank you. You're very welcome. We appreciate the phone call today. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Deborah writes in, did Mary sin at any time during her life? Well, we we believe formally and not just hypothetically that the Virgin Mary was preserved from all sin, not just from the stain of sin of original sin, but that she was given a special grace. Now, again, we make a very clear distinction. This was not something that Mary did on her own, but that God gave her a special grace that enabled her, one, to, not, to be conceived without original sin within her mother, St. Anne, but also to live her life uh, without sin. And no human being could do that unless God gave them a special grace. But the Church solemnly believes that. So that is a a doctrine of the faith that Our Lady remains sinless uh, from the very moment of her conception uh, and continues to be so uh, in heaven. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It is a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833 
288-3986. Vera would like to know, why are saints' bodies split it up into relics and sent <laughs> around the world to be reverenced? Well, uh, the reason why we do that is to encourage uh, having an honor and reverence for them. Uh, we certainly don't worship or adore them, because that's only something you could give to God alone, which we call latria. Uh, but dulia, the reverence we give to the saints, um, it's it's the same way, you know, even at the secular level, um, when you go to a museum, like you go down to Virginia, and you see where um, Thomas Jefferson lived, or you, know, you go where George Washington lived, and they have some artifacts that were owned by them. People, you know, want to see them, and they display them uh, to show honor uh, to the, you know, that this was George Washington's uh, uh, ink quill or whatever. Um, now, with the saints, the, the physical body parts that are been preserved uh, by God's grace, the first-class relics, which is a part of the person's body, or the second class, which we, something that they wore, like Padre Pio's gloves or part of his, his habit. Um, again, these are not magic uh, talismans or lucky charms, but it's because of the saint who, if it's part of their body, uh, we're honoring who they are, the fact that they are in heaven now, and that uh, it connects us in the same way, you know, that I as a you know, family member would, you know, keep something that belonged to my grandmother and all the more so uh, a piece of them. Now, the church is very strict on how these are to be done. So it's not like uh, in the early Middle Ages when people were just, you know, digging up saints on their own. Uh, the church requires uh, a person to have uh, explicit per, uh, requisition from a bishop to Rome to get a relic, and they are only given to churches uh, for public use. They're not given uh, privately anymore. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. George wants to know, Father, <laughs> well, here's the rest of the program. Can you explain okay. faith and works? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, well, St. James makes it very clear uh, that, you know, it's not by, he says it explicitly, it is not by faith alone that we are saved. Uh, unlike what Martin Luther said, where it is, he says sola fide, it's, it's faith alone. And James, who's, you know, he's an inspired sacred author in the Bible, Martin Luther's not, uh, he makes it clear it is not uh, by faith alone, but it's by faith and works because the two go hand in hand, and it's grace that enables us to have faith, and it's grace that enables us to put our faith into practice. So, as again, as St. James points out, if, if we say, I have faith, I believe in God, but I don't treat my neighbor with uh, Christian love and forgiveness, and I don't do the works of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, then my faith is shallow. So it's not in competition. It's not faith or works, as Pope uh, Benedict would often say, Catholicism is not either or, it's both and. So as Catholics, we firmly believe that we need both faith and works. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Um, James wants to know, what is the official Catholic teaching on Adam and Eve? Well, we believe that they truly existed. Um, it's very clear in, our, uh, in the Catechism. 
Uh, Pope Pius XII made this clear in his encyclical Humani Generis uh, that the Church um, believes strongly in what we call monogenism, that the whole human race is traced to one set of human parents, as opposed to polygenism, that the human uh, race comes from several uh, original groups. And which is interesting is, although the Church has always consistently taught that Adam and Eve really existed and that they were the first human beings, um, now science uh, is backing that up because in the 19, early 1980s, two uh, agnostic uh, scientists, uh, biologists, had uh, figured out that every human being who ever lived, who walked this earth, uh, are, can trace themselves through mitochondrial DNA to one woman. And when they made that discovery, uh, the newspaper said, scientists found Eve. Now, the science, scientists did not use the word Eve. Uh, they weren't necessarily happy about it. But their research is, is, is very self-evident that that's what they found. They found that we can trace ourselves to one woman. And now they're working on showing that we also can trace ourselves uh, to one man. And Genesis makes it clear who, the, who that man and woman is, Adam and Eve. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Anita. She is in the great state of Massachusetts watching us on YouTube today. Anita, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hi. Hi. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, I have a question about in order to gain a plenary indulgence, one of the requirements is that you can't have an attachment to sin. And so, well, um, Exactly what does this mean? Like, we're all sinners, and I understand that if somebody, for example, has a problem with the sin, like stealing, and they just want to continue doing it, I understand that being an attachment. But what about, like, when um, I don't like any any sin um, that I don't want to commit, but still I'll fall into some sins, um like, you know, when I get angry and I don't keep my mouth shut. You know, so if Father can give, like, a really good explanation about what kind of attachment to sin I cannot have for a plenary indulgence. Okay, that's an excellent question, because we know we just had a plenary indulgence available on uh, the Feast of Saints Joachim and Anne for all grandparents and elderly people that Pope Francis uh, made recently available. Uh, the, the, we must be free from any attachment, even to venial sin, in order to get the plenary indulgence. Now, if any of those criteria are, are not available, and if someone has some attachment, then it can default from plenary to partial indulgence. So it's still worthwhile to, to, to uh, go for it. But to get the plenary indulgence, when we talk about detachment from sin, even venial sin, it doesn't mean that uh, I all of a sudden ontologically and incapable of sinning, that's not possible without a special grace. Uh, and we said, you know, the only person that we know who had that was, was the Blessed Virgin Mary. But uh, being free of attachment means I don't even have fond memories of my past sins. And I loathe and detest every sin because it offends God. And my love for God is so great that I don't want to offend him. It's not because of an imperfect contrition that I'm afraid of hell or I'm afraid of, of, of purgatory in the afterlife, but that merely because I offend God. Um, so it's, it's actually uh, possible, and it's, it's not necessarily easy, but it's possible 
uh, to be totally detached. And it's something you and I need to work for. So again, it's not that I'm saying I will never do anything wrong, but my perception is how I look at sin. More than just inconvenient, but I, I hate sin because it, it offends God. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Brady in Minnesota, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls. The number again, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Once again, I'm coming to you live from the 141st Supreme Convention of the Knights of Columbus in beautiful Orlando, Florida. As promised, we head back to the phones. Brady is a first-time caller in the great state of Minnesota, listening on Real Presence Radio. Brady, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hi. Um, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, really appreciate what you're doing for all of us. Um, so I'm a cradle Catholic, um, and I teach confirmation, and so I, I I believe in the Eucharist, and and I teach it to my kids, and you know I'll defend it to anyone, but I I don't I don't feel anything when I receive the Eucharist, and um, I don't know if I'm supposed to want to feel something or if I'm just supposed to be okay with you know whatever's whatever my experience should be, um, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. Yes, I, I'm, I'm glad you called and asked that question, because a lot of people, um, clergy and laity alike, uh, have that same uh, uh, conundrum where they say, I don't feel uh, any different, I don't feel anything. Um, that doesn't mean nothing's happening, because we're stuck, we're talking about spiritual realities, and the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, which is really, truly, and substantially present in the Holy Eucharist, still has the, the physical uh, appearances, the, the accidents, the quality. So it still tastes like wine, it still tastes like bread. Um, so it's not going to taste her, uh, differently, and our physical re, um, reaction to it won't be different because our bodies respond to the accidents. It's our souls, and our soul is immaterial. Our soul responds to uh, the real presence in it, and you're not going to feel it in your body. Now, some of the saints were given a special uh, privilege and grace that they would go into some kind of ecstasy. Uh, Padre Pio is one who would go into mystical ecstasy when he was celebrating Mass. Some of the saints, uh, like St. Catherine of Siena, would go into ecstasy when she received Holy Communion, but that's a, a unique uh, gift that God gives, and I think it's more powerful that you and I continue to believe and receive, even though we don't feel an effect physically. Spiritually, though, uh, there's going to be uh, an effect, because uh, the soul's going to be strengthened, and we're going to be given uh, sacramental grace, which is much stronger than the actual grace that comes just through prayer. Um, so don't feel bad that you're not feeling something. But uh, in the same way, I know when when couples are married, they might say, oh, we don't feel what the, the same way we felt when we were married. Well, that doesn't mean that doesn't make any difference. The feelings, okay, are peripheral. What counts is what's on the inside. 
the the uh, ontological reality. So the fact that someone is husband and wife, that this is a mother and father, and this is their son or daughter, uh, that's a reality, whether you feel it or not. Um, it's nice to have those feelings, but, uh, you know, like Jesus said, blessed are those who believe but have not seen. So I would say um, certainly be attentive and want to uh, participate as much as you can, but the fact that you don't levitate or uh, any other of, of the uh, qualities of, of sainthood uh, when you receive a Holy Communion, don't see that as some way of God saying that you don't have enough faith. That is not the case. Does that help, Brady? Very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Michael writes in, how do Catholics see the rapture? (laughs) Uh, The jury's out. (laughs) Um, It's not a doctrine. Uh, The church has not officially completely condemned it. Uh, The whole idea of the rapture which is interesting, is it's a recent phenomenon. If you were to, you know, if you were a, a Doctor Who fan like I am and went into a TARDIS and went back in time and actually could talk to Martin Luther, uh, Swingley, or Huss, or any of the Protestant reformers, they wouldn't know what you're talking about because the whole concept of the rapture was not known uh, back in the medieval times or Renaissance times. It's more of a 19th century uh, invention. So this idea that uh, at a particular time to, towards the end of the world, some people are going to be physically disappear. I mean, uh, and then this thing of that was in the movie where people's clothes were left behind. Uh, they stole that from a Star Trek episode. <laughs> you know, uh, there's nothing not only in Scripture, but there's nothing in any of the uh, writings of the saints or even theologians that said that that was going to happen. So it, it's a play on words. The rapture comes from the Latin uh, rapior, which means to be taken. And Jesus does say uh, in, in the gospel, uh, there'll be two men in one bed, one will be taken, one will be left behind. The presumption in the uh, left behind series is that the ones who are taken go right to heaven. That's not necessarily the case uh, you know, in, in, this, in how Jesus describes it, because if you're taken, that means you're dead, and you're either, and particular judgment takes place, you either go to heaven or hell or purgatory, uh, the ones who are left behind, they can still repent if they're in the state of sin, and they can uh, go to confession and, and be forgiven. It's the ones who were taken, you have to say, well, I hope they were ready, and I hope they were prepared. So whether you're taken or not, it's not when you go, are you prepared whenever it happens? 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Still time for your phone calls at 833-288-3986. Sid would like to know, how can I explain why we call our worship service Mass? Well, we call it the Mass because uh, in the Latin, uh, especially at the Latin Mass, whether it's the Novus Ordo, uh, which is the current Mass since the Vatican II, or the old mass, or traditional Latin mass, or extraordinary form, at the end, the priest or the deacon would say, ite misa est, which literally translates go, ite, misa est, M-I-S-S-A. That's a a verb uh, from mito mitere. So misa means to that they are sent, 
literally. So the, it's not that it, we, we translate it kind of clumsily when we said, go, the mass is ended. It should literally say, go, the, the congregation is now sent. And so uh, the first way of describing the mass or the first nomenclature was the breaking of the bread. Uh, we see that in, in the gospel, in the um, in the New Testament. Uh, that's how the disciples referred to it. It then later became the, called the Eucharist. Uh, it was called the uh, Divine Liturgy. Uh, but it was then called the, the Mass because once uh, Christianity was legalized in 313 under the Edict of Milan of, of the Emperor Constantine, uh, and it was well established that the church's headquarters were in Rome and the Bishop of Rome uh, is the head of the church. Latin became the official uh, language of the universal church. And it would make sense then to refer to something that everybody was familiar with. So mass in English comes from the Misa, uh, from the Latin uh, conclusion of the mass. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Jason, a first-time caller in the great state of Louisiana, listening on Christ Our King Radio. Jason, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Yeah, Father John, I had a question about the new uh, Great Adventure Bible that the Catholic Church put out um, why did they change it? What was it? What inspired it? And um, what, what's your opinion on it? Okay, uh, what was the, the title of that? Great Adventure? The Great Adventure Bible, yes, sir. The new Bible that the Catholic Church put out. Okay, I was, I'm not uh, too uh, familiar with it. I mean, I've heard of it. Um, I'm not sure exactly what translation that is, because typically we have... Uh, yeah, J- the New Jason, American are you Bible. Talking, yeah, are you talking about the New American Bible, the NAB, by any chance? No, it's 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 called it's called the Great Adventure Bible, and it's a it's a timeline Bible put out yeah. by, by the Jeff, Catholic Church. Yeah, it's not put out by the Church. It's actually put out it's by Jeff by Davis and Ascension Press. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think I, that that's the NAB, but I'm not entirely positive. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at that right now online. I don't see which translation it is because some of these Bibles they have a, 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 a like Great Adventure or uh, Christ Among Us or uh, Word Among Us. Um, there's a couple of other contemporary uh, word or um, ways of describing, but the translation, uh, the version is is what's important. So you have the New American Version, which we knew we use. At church for mass and the sacraments there's the revised standard version catholic edition uh, there's the jerusalem bible there's the douay reims bible uh, these are all catholic versions they have all the books uh, that are, are considered canonical in there uh, now for the protestants you have the king james uh, you have the revised standard version the more traditional one um, so the great adventure catholic bible uh, if it is the New American Bible version, uh, you know, then there, you've got nothing to worry about. But if it is an actual uh, different, because these have to be approved by the, the um, Conference of Bishops, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and then uh, given to Rome for their approval. So um, I would have to say, without having one in front of me, uh, I can't say for sure. Uh, you know what, 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 if what's out 
in terms of the judgment on that. But if you can look at it, and if it says New American Bible or uh, Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition or um, you know Jerusalem Bible or Douay Reims, then I would say I would be cautious. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is David from Denver, Colorado, listening on Catholic Radio Network. David, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hello. Thank you so much for taking my call. Hey, I had a general question. Um, could you talk about the Church's teachings on if the Pope sins, um, if the Church teaches that the Pope cannot sin, um, if that's only during preaching, um, or just, you know, that general discussion, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, I'm, I, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, we make a distinction um, in terminology, uh, infallibility, which is ascribed to the, the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, as the Roman Pontiff. Infallibility is distinct and different and separate from impeccability. Impeccability is the inability to sin, and we believe Jesus had that because he's the Son of God. And as we just mentioned earlier in the show, the Virgin Mary was given a special grace, uh, so she had the, the gift of impeccability, but the popes never were given that, uh, that charism. And it's self-evident because we've had popes throughout the centuries, starting with Peter himself, the first pope, uh, he sinned, okay? He denied our Lord three times. We've had uh, popes all the way through church history uh, have, you know, have committed sin. So no pope is impeccable. Uh, that means, you know, no pope is preserved from sin. But popes are infallible, which means uh, they're incapable of imposing error on the faithful, in term, on, in, especially in matters of faith and morals. So if you have a bad pope, which we obviously have had in church history, uh, we had Borgias and Medicis, we had popes who had illegitimate children, we had popes who just were rascals and scoundrels, but at no point did any pope come out and teach a false doctrine and, and told the faithful they must believe it. So no pope has or will come out and say, instead of Ten Commandments, we're going to chop it down to eight, uh, or we no longer believe in the real presence, or as Pope um, John Paul the Great pointed out in order not so Sancho de Tallis, no pope is going to say we can ordain women. Uh, it's just impossible. In the same way, you know, they can't say, well, you know, instead of using um, bread and wine, we'll use uh, uh, milk and, and uh, rice cakes for mass. No. So impeccability uh, has never been ascribed to any pope, even though uh, they may have acted with impunity. But infallibility is, and it's a negative thing. Infallibility means a pope would be stopped from imposing a false doctrine. Now, inspiration is completely different. That's the, 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 the way in which the Holy Spirit guided each of the sacred authors to write those things and only those things in the way God wanted them written. So sacred scripture is inspired. Um, we say that Jesus and Mary were impeccable, but the Holy Father, the Pope, uh, is infallible in faith and morals when he teaches universally. So his opinion on who's going to win the soccer cup or uh, who's going to win the Super Bowl, uh, that's completely has no, not has no nothing to do with infallibility. Be sure to check out the Chaplet of Divine Mercy Monday through Friday morning at 5 a.m. Eastern Time right here on EWTN Radio. 
Join Catholics around the world as we recall in prayer the devotion of St. Faustina to our Lord. That's the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, Monday through Friday morning, 5 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Um, next up for us is Judy in Turlock, California, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Judy, you're on with Father John. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call and for all that you do. Um, I have a question that kind of came to mind because I attended church recently that reminded me when I was uh, in elementary school at uh, attending catechism class, I asked the teacher this question and they did not know. And recently I went to church and I saw again, and this reminded me of my question. On the crucifix, uh, sometimes you'll see a little sign um, above our Lord that says I-N-R-I. What does that stand for? Okay, uh, that, that one's a real easy one for me, so I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked. Uh, those are the first uh, words, it's, it's an it's a, a abbreviation. I-N-R-I is for the Latin. In, in Latin, there is no J. So the I works like a J. So it's Jesus for the I, which is Jesus. Nazarenus, which means of Nazareth. Um, Rex, which is king. Eureorum, of the Jews. Jesus, king of the Jews. Okay? It's Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. So Pontius Pilate had that uh, imposed on the crucifix. And it was written not just in Latin, but also in Greek and Aramaic. Uh, and that was that we see that told in the gospel. Now, obviously, most crucifixes don't have all four languages, and because it was difficult uh, when they're making them real small, it was just an artist at some point abbreviated. So instead of writing the whole thing out uh, in longhand, uh, Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judeorum, especially in the Middle Ages, they loved abbreviating. So I-N-R-I is just that way of abbreviating it, but it means the same thing. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. How's that, Judy? That's wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate all that you do. Thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. Thanks so much for the phone call today. We head next to Georgetown, Texas. It's not an official show until we go to the Republic of Texas. She's a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Karen, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Thank you very much. What can we do for you today? Okay, so should I or how should I pray for the man who tried to kill me six years ago. Actually, he did, but I'm here. Okay, um, well, certainly you want to pray that he repent of the evil he attempted to do. Um, Jesus said we should pray for our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. Um, we never have to like people, but we have to love them. And the best way you can love someone is to pray that they repent of their sins, they turn from evil, and turn towards good. So anyone who's ever hurt us in any way, shape, or form, our prayer should always be, Lord, uh, help this person see the evil of their ways, help them turn around. Now, to give you a very clear example of that, um, when Maria Goretti, uh, she was a young girl, uh, 11 years old, was stabbed to death uh, by Alessandro Serenelli, 
uh, and this took place in Natuno. Uh, Maria Goretti, he was 19, she was 11. He stabbed her death because he tried to rape her and she refused. And he got angry and stabbed her. Uh, she forgave him uh, before she died. And her prayers, we believe, uh, even after death, when she went to heaven, uh, is what motivated him to, at one point, he was in jail for uh, 29 years, he finally repented. And not only did he go to confession, he went to her mother and asked for forgiveness. And her mother said, if our, my daughter could forgive you, if Jesus could forgive you, then, then I can forgive you. So prayer can do that. And I think that's what the Lord wants you to do and wants me to do and all of us to do is to pray for our enemies that they would uh, repent of their evil, not just evil they did before, but they would stop doing evil right now and in the future. And Karen, you've done a great thing by calling in today because you'll have a lot of our listeners praying for you as well. 833-288-EWTN could probably squeeze in one more phone call at 833-288-3986. Joshua wants to know, what exactly is a blessing? A blessing, okay, uh, which is uh, defined in the catechism for us, is a way in which God um, puts special favor on someone or something. Uh, something is set apart for special use. So, for instance, you know, uh, as priests, we bless rosaries, uh, we bless crucifixes. Um, priests and deacons and bishops uh, can bless things and persons. So when you bless a person, you're asking God special blessings. So we have a blessing. We just gave, like I said, on um, Feast of St. Joe coming in, we bless grandparents. Um, so we can bless people, uh, objects. Um, now, that's one way of blessing. We can also say we bless the Lord, like the psalm says, means that we recognize uh, God's presence in the world. So it's not that we are imposing a blessing on God. We're acknowledging that God has blessed us in many ways. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Kelly wants to know, what is the significance of the mortarboard that is placed on top of the chalice at Mass? <laughs> uh, well, there's it can be cardboard, it can be uh, plastic, uh, any number of things, uh, but that's called a pall, P-A-L-L, and it has two purposes. One, a very practical one, is to keep the bugs, the flies, the stink bugs, the f all nasty things that are flying around from getting into the child's bird poop, because especially in, in ancient times, there were a lot of things flying around in church, and we still have it today, so it was to protect the chalice from any contagion, but it also had a nice symbolic value of, of especially after the consecration of, of Jesus being in the tomb. And then uh, Robert writes in, how can I explain original sin to a non-Catholic? <laughs> well, the best way to describe it is that unlike actual sin where you and I do something right now, it's our, we did it, we're guilty, okay? Uh, original sin goes back to the beginning, and like in, uh, you, you talk about uh, in terms of physiology, uh, if, if I were to go into a nuclear power plant and the radiation affected my DNA in such a way, I would transmit that to all my progeny, and so I, they would all inherit some bizarre uh, twist of, of genes because it happened to me, 
and I, I passed it on. Even though they didn't do anything, they didn't go into the nuclear reactor, I did, but it passes on that way physiologically. And original sin is the same way, that because we have a human nature, we inherit original sin, and only uh, baptism, whether baptism of water or desire by blood, can uh, remove that. And uh, in the same way that uh, uh, medicine would uh, remove something that somebody was born with. And um, Albert has sent us an email, and he wants to know, what biblical support do we have to show that people are currently in heaven and not just in a state of waiting? I would say look at the book of Revelation. I mean, it makes it clear there's people up there. Um, they're not in a waiting line. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't believe that there are people waiting. Those people who are waiting to go to heaven are in purgatory. But there's people actually in heaven right now, and you know, uh, it's described in the, in the book of Revelation, or sometimes called the Apocalypse, uh, you know, the white-robed army of martyrs, you know, the, the thousands and thousands uh, beyond uh, ability to count uh, of, of the holy elect that are in heaven. So uh, Revelation is not just about things that happen in the future. It's about something right here and now. And once again, I'm coming to you live today from the 141st Supreme Convention of the Knights of Columbus uh, this year in beautiful Orlando, Florida. We would encourage everybody to uh, support the local council of the Knights of Columbus at your parish, and if they're uh, engaged in some philanthropic uh, efforts, that we uh, would ask that you would support those efforts, because they are certainly, I can assure you, uh, going to a good cause and going to support uh, Brother Knights, their families, and Catholics, and really all of humanity around the world. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Absolutely. Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer Michael McCall, our call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for kicking us off on a great Monday, kicking off another week of EWTN's Open Line. Back at it again tomorrow. We're talking faith family and fellowship as we do every Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. Until we get together with Father Wade tomorrow, God bless.